I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode five of the Roker Report. You join us in the middle of an international break for the World Cup qualifiers off the back of a paint-by-numbers victory for England over the mighty Maltese. Uh, with me tonight, we've got Tom, Gav, Callum and James. And the first point of order should be England. Who cares? Not me. Anybody. <laughs> Not Gav. Nah, Jesus, no, like, it's painful, isn't it? It, it never gets easier. It's, it's, it's almost worse than watching someone because... I have no connection with not one of those players. Um, the continue to select Wayne Rooney, who, again, I can't get my head around that. Um, and the playing a team who, I mean, it's like it's it's, it's like playing a pub team, isn't it? The, who who have not? I got them. I'm sure Michael Mifsud came on, and I had him on chat my house 15 years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just it was just poor. Um, but there we are. It's it's it's, think, it's it's the same um, same as usual, isn't it? It's, it's it's like all teams we support we just struggle. <laughs> I think I fell I think yeah, I fell out of love. Never to feel I, I fell out of love with in, Go on, Caleb, I fell out of love with international football. I think when England played a friendly against uh, Holland at Villa Park, it was I think I was about sixteen at the time, and I've never watched anything worse in my entire life. And <laughs> you you watch it, and it's I mean the, like I've said, it's players who we all know. They don't. A lot of them probably don't deserve to be there. They're picked based on commercial decisions, and it, it's a bunch of you know, it's a, it's a bunch of overpaid players who think that they're not that bad when actually they're probably not. They're not. They're not like a world elite. They're not Germany standard. You know what I mean? And, it's and so they're playing. Yeah. You know, when you say that, that, if you look at our younger teams, like the under 17 suit or the under 21s, they seem to pull out good results constantly. The I think it was the under 19s beat Holland 3 0 the other night and like walked them off the park basically. They're absolutely top notch. So I think you've got to ask some questions of like what turns players off from the younger age groups where we seem to be so dominant or at least producing quality players. Like where do we go wrong later down the line? Yeah, do you think it's like a lack well, of I think certainly with regards to do you think it's a, a lack of continuity from the youth teams to the the main national side that there's no like steady approach or or formation that's set through all the ranks. It's it's England just seem to play play well, pick names. They don't pick well, players for a system, the, do they? Yeah, I'm 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 
I would agree that's probably been a big issue, like because you can see other countries have clearly followed that path and been quite successful. But uh, I mean, I mean, given given even given Southgate four games is probably a, a good step in the right direction with that in mind because at least he's been in the system for a few years now, and he knows especially that. Well, we we know as as English or England fans. I don't know if I call myself a fan, but we know we know as we know as Englishmen, I guess that there's not been enough in certainly in the last five, six, seven years with England, and there's not been enough young players put through. At the minute, they're at a stage where they've got to do it because there's so many of the old guard have just moved on and there's only really Cahill, Hart and, and really Rooney there now. So you, you could really do with that continuity when bringing players you look at you, having a man nah, like You look South at the under-21. Yeah, you look at the under-21 team. I think a few years ago, the captain was Michael Mancien. Yeah. You know, like the, cap- the captain of the under the captain of the under twenty ones. And, you know, like Conor Wickham played up front for the under-21s for years. Those two players, they're never going to be senior squad standard. But there's such... Mm. They, they they pick all the, the best players like Rashford and Sterling and people like that, sort of John Stones at like 18-19. And the, and the under-21 team just becomes a breeding ground for players who realistically are never going to get to the senior standard or... Or perhaps they they are at the senior standard, but they're not at teams where they're going to offer the commercial advantages that players at Man United or Chelsea or Arsenal are going to offer. So you know, uh, I think there's I think there's a that in mind, Callum, that there's a, a shout for maybe Jordan Pickford in the future between the sticks for England. I can see them going for a, a Sunderland player basically as a goalie or something like that. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Although obviously it's a very crucial <laughs> position on the pitch and in the team, it's not. It's like being a bass player in a band, isn't it? No one cares. <laughs> You know what I mean? You've got to have one, but if you can't do that job, then it's it's not really expected. Well, between yeah, but the I mean, sticks, they've kind of got the same issue, haven't they, with Rooney and Hart? Because really, yeah. really, who mm. who's going to display Joe Hart? We've got some better keepers than Joe Hart, and I can't I can't see yeah. any of them being picked ahead of them when when fit. No, so you know. he makes money, doesn't he? It, it all boils down to the FA and the England national team at the minute. Is is just the idea that the FA need to make money? And the likes you can't you can't drop Joe Hart because Joe Hart rakes in a load of money through sponsorship. So well, I think that's the thing. I mean, if, like you, if, you've, if you've got if you've got Jack Wilshire in an England shirt uh, advertising for sponsors for Nike or you know yeah. McDonald's or, or whoever the England Vauxhall whoever the England sponsors are, how many people around the world are going to know Jack Wilshire? How many people around the world are going to know Danny Drinkwater? It's a good McDonald's. That'd be an interesting one, Callum. That you, you brought that you know, one. I wonder if we ever will see an international footballer advertising for McDonald's. I think they're England's. They're, Engl- they're England's <laughs> official sponsor. One of their yeah, one of their main sponsors, sponsors, aren't they? Are they? Are, yeah. are they actually? Oh, I'm huh? I didn't know that. But oh, the world is just the thing with the money as well. Though, if you look at the under twenty ones, we're talking about Conor Wickham and Michael Mancien. What contracts must they have had thrown at them once they started to make some kind of market under twenty one level? I bet you there was like seven or eight clubs. Mm. It sort of piqued their interest that they start to have some consistent performances for the national side. And all of a sudden, the club throw like a, a ridiculous pay packet at someone so young. You must lose some incentive to actually really want to do that well. You know, someone well, throws I've, you enough money yeah. for the rest I've, of your life. I've Why had this conversation want? in the past, you know, where with with we we only seem to see the back end of a player's actual career. Really, you know, we see. We see a player at 22, 23, 24 making his break. And what you haven't seen is the, the progression they've made from five-year-old being in an academy system, which demands five days a week out of them 
taking time out of school to train, um, traveling the, the length of the country to play other academy teams, um, constantly having the pressure year on year and not knowing whether you're going to be kept on, um, getting to scholar level and then really starting to worry. And then beyond that, when you become a pro, not knowing really if you're going to make it at the club you're at, um, I think I think what, when when we see a player coming through at 23, 24 year old, they're, they're already in the prime years and they're, they're, they're kind of at that money earning stage where they've, they've put the hard yards in, and you, you can see why they don't necessarily care. I know with England, um, they apparently waive their fees, but I mean, the money they must make on sponsorship will obviously, oh. you know. Counterproductive, yeah. but I think I think I well, think I mean, it's, a, it's a wider issue, isn't it? Really, I mean, we we aren't producing enough good players, but we don't help ourselves by the way we structure our national teams, the under 20, 23s Um, like like's already been mentioned, uh, how many of our best under twenty threes actually play in that squad? They don't because that's the way we pick yeah. the team, unfortunately. Yeah, you can't. Well, I think there's a, a sad thing like with regards to um, the media, the way the media build up young players, and that can easily destroy a career before it gets started. And I mean, like we've seen before, players come through and they part, they get the hopes and dreams of an entire nation like pinned squarely on the well, shoulders, even if it is a match against Malta or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of I agree with you in it to an extent, but I think there's also got to be a bit of fingers pointed at at people like Hodgson in the summer because if you're Raheem Sterling and you've had an absolute shocker of a of a first season at Man City, you cost forty nine million pounds. The pressure is kind of already there. And and you know and if you're going to if you're going to the Euros and and you're you know you're an attacking player and and people are already thinking well why is he in the squad he's done nothing Roy Hodgson should look at him and think do you know what he's just a young lad let's protect him let's you know let's not expose him to all this but he, he did it anyway and you know so the, the... I, th- I think their hands are forced though in that regard I mean anyone who takes that we've said before obviously when Allardyce left we were all talking about it. And it's it was a poison chalice. I mean, <laughs> he managed he he can try and make things more difficult for himself than he certainly had to. But in reality, that is a poison chalice taking a job because you are dealing with your bosses. If the FA want to make the money, yeah, then you can't whack down a piece of paper in front of them that says, "Yeah, I'm starting Mark Noble." If he'd had a decent season so far, which he hasn't actually, but is I mean, his form over the last few years, he'd have been perfect for the England team, but they would yeah. never have done it. They would never have allowed it. So they clearly just whack down a piece of paper with the most marketable names on it and say, go out there and win the World Cup. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> and it's never going to happen. At a point, you start thinking, does Gareth Southgate hold all the keys to be able to even pick his own squad? Because there's some players, I mean, Glenn Johnson, I mean, I know he, he didn't play or anything, but him, him getting a call up is just ridiculous. Um, yeah. It's just. I thought that was a bit strange. I th- I, on a more positive note, I thought. Um, Jordan Henderson had an absolutely fantastic game. I thought he like yeah, he, that was a that was a yeah. blinding cross. He looked he drove well, from midfield and I think Klopp's turning him into a into a really classy midfielder. It's good to see. It's good to see because mm. he seems like a lovely bloke and um, obviously the connection to Sunderland's it's always good, isn't it? Yeah. Which then which then begs the question, doesn't it? Really, when we're talking about Wayne Rooney and what what value he adds to the England team. Um, Every manager who comes across him seems to want to make him captain. Then you've got Jordan Henson, the Liverpool captain. There, you know what I mean. We're not. I, I would. I'm, I'm thinking about the Slovenia game midweek, and they're obviously going to bring in Dyer. You would have thought, which which then means Rooney's going to be accommodated in another position. And it's like, you know, we're at the stage now where that guy shouldn't be in the team. He's he, he is past it. 
For in yeah, life, he should just bow out, shouldn't he, with some dignity? Mm. Uh, you would think he'd do that. He'd be able to sim- being in that world, growing up around it. He must be able to look around himself and go, you know what? I'm not doing this team any favors. If he really had some sort of sense of national pride and he wanted the team to do well rather than himself but, to do well, or but keep, then you, you hear from you hear from everybody that he's this great leader in the dressing room, off the pitch and stuff. And I think. No, I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't have you ever heard the bloke open his gob? He strikes me as thick yeah. as two planks. Have you ever heard the bloke open his gob? You know, that's the thing. That's the thing. I think you've got to. You know, it's it's quite um, it's quite dangerous to assume that Wayne Rooney has any kind of uh, philosophical insight into into anything really. So. Um, I think yeah, when he's yeah. when he's looking around himself, yeah, he's point. probably not got you know he's probably not looking around thinking right. Let's analyze this situation and you know let's let's be philosophical <laughs> about it. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, give him that kind of credit. But um, I mean they're bemoaning the fact that he's being booed by the by the fans. But ultimately, again, they're putting him in that situation because the fans aren't stupid. You know the fans see that he's not playing well. He's not in good form. He's been dropped by Man United, and they're being given you know explanations that you know Southgate and, and his managers are trying to say to the fans no no he's playing well he's he does a really good job he keeps you know he's really important for the team and you know football's football's not that complicated really I mean it's a working man's game we can all see that he's not in good form but I think people are just sick of being preached to and being told what a, a blatant lies and it's coming to a head with with booing him and and, you know, they're making their own problems, really, in that sense. I don't have any sympathy with, with him or with the FA or with any manager who picks him. I think you're bang on there, mm. Callum. I think it, it, it beggars belief. I don't think he's performed at club level for probably two years. I, the last time I actually thought Wayne Rooney was, was a top player was... I'd even go back as far when <clears throat> Ronaldo and Tevez were playing at United and the three of them were playing up front and they were they were tearing teams apart, but... I mean, he's done nothing at club level for me for years. And every time we get to tournament level, I, he bottles it. I mean, he scored... Well, that's the thing, he, he scored, scored, yeah. He scored all these goals for England. And people say, oh, he's you know, England's greatest ever goal scorer, this and that. Yeah, but it's all very well and good scoring three goals against, well, Bratislava, I don't know. But it, oh, when it comes yeah. to tournament level, he's got, what, three goals in the last three tournaments? It's just not good enough. Yeah, well, most of his goals come well, against plumbers so and teachers, don't they? I mean, it's, it's never, <laughs> exactly right. you know, it's never, it's never against it. It's never on the big stage. It's never in like the tournaments, <clears> and, <throat> and ultimately, you know, you can point to his record and say, well, he scored all these goals, like you said. But I mean, you've you've also got to look at the context, and and you know, that's one of the reasons that it's so unappealing to watch England because most of the time, it's just it's just practice. It's just training games. That, yeah. that they're yep. in. So I think we, I think we, we can all safely agree that none of us yeah. enjoy watching. <laughs> no, and, play and sad, we have you no faith have, in the like, future. There's something deep down inside that's you still want them to do well, don't we? Exactly. Every tournament, not yeah. me. This like yeah. little inkling feeling that oh, we could do something special, or maybe all the press are right this time and they've built us up and we are going to do it. But ultimately, we do get let down. I think we covered it perfectly. That maybe it, it really is. It's the FA to blame. There's a set of a core of players there who make them money and they're never going to change their ways, unfortunately, until maybe they turn a profit or pay off Wembley. <laughs> as bad as that sounds. <laughs> the latter right. is the key. Moving on then, point, moving a little bit on. The Wembley point. Moving a little bit on from England. Cool. Moving that on. We've got some questions via, via Twitter from our Twitter audience, our loyal Twitter audience. I noticed, in fact, that one question is asked by a gentleman from last, last time, so... Yeah, why not keep seeing the mass? Uh, on that note, talking about the international side, 
Peter Cooper wants to know, if Sunderland were an international side, how well would we do in World Cup qualifying? My answer to that is terrible. Absolutely We'd terrible. beat Gibraltar, I, I think. The only team we could beat is England. It's the only team we could beat is England, ironically. Uh, the People's mm. Republic of North Anyone? Korea, maybe, would be uh, about <laughs> as good as we got, like. Yeah, but on that, so I mean, you think yeah, no it would be interesting to see how club teams would weigh up against the international sides because you, know, I, you look at that England side and to me, they, they look like strangers half the time. You'd probably yeah, be able to give them half, a half good game, even with yeah. the squad that we've got. Who, you know, who remembers Niall Quinn's testimonial when we played the Republic? Oh, Republic brilliant. of Ireland. That was when they had a decent team, that. I think we got yeah. 3-0. It was, yeah. it was just a throwaway game, like... But they had a half decent team that around that time. I think it was when they'd, they'd done well in the World Cup, uh, two thousand and two. That's pretty much the closest we'll ever get to seeing Sunderland play international football. Like, uh, yeah. there we go. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, we got another question. Then. <clears throat> another question. This time from Zach McCaskill. If we remain this poor, I like this question. If we remain this poor, should we let Moyes take us into the championship or bring someone else in? Can anybody clear up for me the parachute payments? I'm hearing so many different things. I'm hearing we don't only get 65 million, then I'm hearing we get like 150 million. If. I think I did a a piece on it ages ago now um, in pre season. Uh, The way it worked out was. I think, as, as by my layman's maths, it turned out that we'd actually stand to gain more money from being relegated than we would from staying up in the Premier League. Because if we stay in the Premier League, I think it's something like at 17th place, which, let's be realistic, is what we're aiming for. It's our bar, sadly, now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I... You're looking at, like, 96 million, I think it was. Yeah. But if we got relegated, there's, like, three parachute payments of 30 million plus on top of what you've already got going down, um, I think you get about 115 million instead. I think it all depends. So financially, yeah, I think it all it all depends on whether we come back up within those three years. You, you know, if we yeah. if we man if we manage to get back up, then then great. But money money isn't everything in the in the championship. I think we're you know as Sunderland fans, we've been kind of spoiled when we're, whenever we've been in the championship, and we've you know we've had some really good seasons. We've had some you know it, it's almost seen as a kind of a right for us to come straight back up, but. It's. I mean, it's a. It's a hell of a league to try and get yourself out of, and and I think if you're a well-run club and you've and you know you you're making correct, you're making the right decisions and you've got a bit of nouse about you, then yeah, I would I would say you know it's a, it would be good to come back to go down, come back up within three seasons. But I don't have much faith in in our in the way our club's structured and some of the decisions I've seen them make. I don't know if we've got the kind of the organisation and the unity and the nouse to really make the correct decisions. To come straight back up, yeah, you know, it would it would it would worry me. It'd be a massive risk. I mean, it, it, of course it would be, but if you know, if it all goes to plan, it's great. But nothing ever really goes to plan. In well, football. Not for us, like. <laughs> I well, I sent sorry, um, I sent I sent the the article which I found from which was an interview with uh, Neil Redfern, who used to be Leeds manager, and I think he played for Wimbledon back in the day, so on. Um, who on radio in in Yorkshire has come out and said that he believes we need to we need to go down in order to rebuild and it's something that a lot of people um, say flippantly when things aren't going right and you just kind of think well it can't be much worse than the championship and we've seen this season obviously with yeah. Newcastle they've, they've, they've been fairly successful up now it's a long season but you, you do see teams go down there do well we've done it in the past under various managers as mentioned 
um, where we've instantly rebounded. But then at the same time, you're looking at like Villa, who've spent yeah. just on two strikers over 30 million quid, yet have just sat the manager uh, two months into the season. And it's like, yeah, it's not always as easy as just going down and rebuilding. And people have, obviously, the question was that would we keep a hold of Moyes if, and in, in the event of relegation? Um, knowing Ella Short's track record with managers, I don't think he would let it get to that stage. I think he would he would pull the trigger. As much as he claims to to love David Moyes, I think he's shown throughout his time as our chairman, anyways, that as soon as he thinks, yeah, this isn't working, he's got a pretty decent record at second managers and no one went to replace them. So to answer the question, mm. no, I don't think we would take David Moyes into the championship. Is 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 I don't yeah. think he'd stay even nah, if we offered, nah. even if somehow we offered. I think he feels he's above. I'd that, be personally to be honest. I think that's half his problem maybe. <laughs> that he feels he's above things. Personally, like I'd that. keep I'd keep him. I'd stick with him, no matter how much. Got a bit of disdain for him right now, but I do think I'm just I just crying out for some stability. Uh, we just we can't. We keep saying it. We can't go through this cycle of sacking managers. I mean, how many managers have we have we had in the past six years? Must have had about too eight. many. Wasn't it like nine in ten years, years or something? It's ridiculous. I mean, I think we're, talk, we're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about stability, if we were to go down, how many players would stay? I mean, I don't. I don't think Defoe would stay. Um, I think we. I mean, I don't know whether there's anything in his contract that halves his wages. I remember someone saying Quinny brought that in at some point yeah, when he was at the well. at the club about like a relegation clause but mm-hmm. you know you, you're looking at like Kone yeah. I think Kone probably be off I think you know someone poach Pickford probably you wonder about Manone we wouldn't be able to pay for Mankio Banano Ban- Ban- would be off um, Danea would go back to Man City would Undong stay you wonder about whether a promoted club would come in for Catamol Kirchhoff probably at the end of his yeah. contract you know you, when you're looking at that you're thinking right Yanazai goes back to Man United there's so I mean, I'm really, I'm really <laughs> sorry. I mean, depressed. Gav, are, are you driving? Are you anywhere? Gav, are you? Just I'm, in the, I'm in the, I'm in the car park. Gav, in my car. Gav, Gav, don't do it, man. Don't do it. <laughs> he's got concrete. I'm, he's got concrete. I'm about 200 foot from Hellgate Metro Station. So I could <laughs> venture on the lines if this gets any worse. Like, slam the, yeah, just slam the handle and wait for it to all end. If we did go down, though, and you managed to keep. He managed to keep a hold of Jermaine Defoe. That's as, as much of a guarantee to get back as we'd ever get. Because, I mean, that man, he's, yeah. I mean, he scores goals for fun in the Premier League. I think against championship defenders, his movement and intelligence. I think we'd probably offer him offer him quite a bit of a you'd, race, you'd, yeah, to you'd be have, honest. You'd have to, to say, we'll people. keep you at your wage currently, wouldn't you? And just say, stay. And look, it's only because of his age that yeah, he'd stay. exactly right. Do you know what I mean? If, if he was a few years younger, then he'd definitely be off. But at the age of 33 now, although he's proven he can still do it in the Premier League, I can't see him thinking, oh, I'm definitely going to get a Premier League team here and they're going to treat me the way that some yeah. treat me. Because um, we'd, we'd send him on for peanuts as well, and that would I gut me. I'd hate to see Defoe go for like a couple of million or it'd something. It'd be one five million or something, wouldn't it? It'd be classic stuff. Yeah, I think Alan Shaw yeah. would see it as a chance for a fire sale, though. I think if you look mm. at how much money we've hemorrhaged over like the last five years, the last set of books that came out, we weren't making as much money as the year before. Um, we were actually spending a lot more money. Like players' wages had jumped massively. We leaked over twenty-five million in the red. Just when you took everything into account, that's how much we hemorrhaged. I think Ella Short would just think, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. Just get rid of all the high. 
the high earners at the club and just bring bring some mediocre crap in. And I remember Burra going down. Haven't we done that already? Burra <laughs> <laughs> did that when they went down and it was, you know, they brought in like players like Mark Yates and um, the Stockdale, the young goalkeeper. And you could just tell that it was an opportunity to like consolidate the finances. They weren't looking to come back up. And I'm worried that would happen to us. We do you not? Take do you not I'm looking. I'm enough. looking at the likes of Donald Love. And well, yeah. I was. I was literally just about to say this, Damien. I think. I think there's a part of me, and I don't know whether anybody else feels like this, but there is. There's something at the back of my mind. Judges those signings and says they haven't been signed for this season. But mm. by the same token, mm. some of the players which have become first teamers this year, Watmore, Gooch, um, mm. Pickford, even. I'm looking at those players and I'm thinking, are we are we doing this to set us up just in case? You know, couple couple that with Moyes like complete depression and lack of faith in any yeah. kind of success. Well, I don't by any means. He's clearly got that. I don't by any yeah. means think that he wants to be relegated. I don't think the club mm-hmm. do. I just no, think. I don't think he wants it. I don't think he feels. No, he can but I think I think I think there will be some sort of contingency there. Thinking right, if this is the year we go down, we need to have something in place. To back up, do you know, and and and, yeah, I mean, and pe- people can people can say, well, that that bollocks, but I don't think that was the case. I think I think when you're looking at signings like McNair and Love, who for the for the money we've spent, you would expect at least McNair to be a first team player. And although he has played a little yeah. here and there, he isn't ready yet. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, are we are we bringing these players in just in case we go down? You know, I mean, I I look at I look at Cone, the Kone situation and and his contract, and I think right, he signed this new contract. I don't think none of us are expecting him to be here for five years like he signed him. And, you know, he's, yeah. he's on 90 grand. And I think part of that, I mean, the way I've seen him play, the way Moyes talks about him, there's definitely no love lost there. Um, I think what Moyes has, has done is said, right, I don't have time to replace you or to scout for a replacement. Put it, you know, make him happy until January. I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave in January, get money in, and then we've had time to scout a replacement and possibly add a few more players as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. So I think there is definitely a contingency plan going on. And I, that Kone contract to me just looks like let's just keep him happy for now while we look for a few more players. Speaking speaking of transfers and contracts, we've got one last question from Sam Quicker. That's an awesome name, though. Sam Quicker. Do you think Mvia would have made a difference this season with the squad oh, we God. have? I'll tell you hang on hang on hang on hang on on. just before we continue this I'm just going to open me oh no it's almost (laughs) hearing his name now aren't we Um, but you got to think the lad seemed seemed to I hate to use the phrase but he seemed to love the club he seemed to really buy in the the part where we seem to miss him I think is energy in covering for fullbacks because I think that's what I've noticed where I think the fact that he his legs in midfield have gone, he I think he used to drop in and fill in for people like Van Arnholt when he goes walkabout quite a lot, and that's one of the areas we've really really missed him this year. Well, you know, for me as though I think I think wouldn't Villa have stopped the goal going in against Southampton? Would he have would he have prevented Gillibodji gifting Harry Kane a goal? Would he have gifted mm. the, Would he have prevented the two goals with gifted Palace? You know. That's that's the that's the thing for me. As good a player as he is, and he could have made a difference organisationally. I just think our issues this season have come down individual errors generally, and and, and he wouldn't have done much. Well, I mean, for that. arguably, we 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 wouldn't have made those mistakes if he was passing the ball where we were used maybe, to passing. Maybe, maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe, but um, but yeah, it's know. a moot point, really, isn't it? I suppose yeah. 
We we can't really. I think it would have really at least more so than could he have done anything on the pitch. It would have at least shown that we had maybe a little bit more desire and would maybe have given the fans a lift at the beginning of the season. When yeah. we go out and spend yeah. thirteen million on Ndong, and don't get me wrong, he's actually looked kind of good this season. But when they were touting the figure of like five or six million from him for Mbela to buy him out of his his contract, it's like it's less than half what we paid for the guy who replaced him. It almost seems, in a business sense, like it was a a fool's yeah, errand. It does seem he's very he's very much like like yeah. Mbela, isn't he? Ndong. I think I think we were having that chat. I mean, there's the there's a lack of there's a lack yeah. of clarity as well. I mean, you know we're. We're told, you know, oh well, you know, we're going to try and go for for younger players, British players, you know, look for the future and stuff like that. And you think, well, does Avila fit into that? But then he goes and signs Gillibodge, who's twenty seven, twenty eight, and you know, and you think, well, right, well, perhaps they wanted to get Avila in January for free, so okay, I suppose you can see the business sense in that. It's a risk, but but then we're, t- we're told, oh, we might be signing a new contract to Kazan. He seems to be back in the fold there. But Moyes has said, yeah, there's an agreement in place, but no one's announced it and. You know, I think there's a lot of this. There's just a lack of clarity about this situation, and and, and it's and it's really sour. I think we as could well. use an entire episode of the podcast, <laughs> sit down and analyze every single transfer dealing from someone, yeah. every bit of business, because it would take hours and hours and hours to sift through it, and it would be so. Confusing. He did bring about the anyway, most entertaining that's, that's day on Twitter though, with the cans for Jan Crack on deadline day. <laughs> <laughs> it was superb. Yeah, that was that was that was fun. Right. Um, what are we dealing with next? Well, I suppose moving on now to our next opponents. We go up against Stoke City. Oh, I can't say I'm looking forward to no. it. I've got some stats in front of me. I'm going to kick off with some stats that made me feel a little bit more comfortable, but stats don't mean everything. But still, right, they've conceded four goals in three games this season. So in three individual games, they've conceded four goals, uh, conceded four goals apiece. All right, they've drawn their last two games, one all. And they haven't scored any more than one goal in any single game. So to me, that strikes me as the sort of thing where we've got to uh, score two goals and then sit back. No, you know what that tells me, Damien? That tells me that tells me we're going to get absolutely tanked. And like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, once people start reeling stats off like that, it was like you know what it reminded us of. It reminds us of that when yeah. when QPR came to the stadium of light and hadn't won one any yeah. one of the twenty twenty or so away games. Yeah. Uh, it was 20, 20 odd away games that hadn't won. And then they turn up at the stadium of light yeah. and, and turn us over with ease. And it was embarrassing yeah, we just, as well. They were like, it, 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 it makes you shit, yeah, doesn't it, when it, people say, oh, they haven't scored against something at the stadium of light. It's like they're bound to. They're just bound to. I mean, I mean being, being sensible about it, really. We, we, if we are really serious as a team about kicking on and not struggling, then they have to target the game for three points. If, if, if all I see on the pitch is us just going out um, trying to defend and, and, and nick a goal, to me that sends mm. a wrong message. Like because these are a poor team, like Absolutely. we are, and we we have to we have to turn up there and think right. We're gonna we're gonna come and take three points off you because if we don't, we're we're, we're looking at a, a a very very serious issue in terms of yeah. how we're gonna struggle across the season. And and on top of that, winning against Stoke could lift you above two teams, two three teams with West Ham to play, who are also struggling. It's a massive game. Really, yes. I think yeah. I think the 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 thing that really worried me was the Man United Stoke game when I saw Peter Crouch come on, and I thought, oh, he's gonna he's gonna play himself into the contention for the next game, and because he, he, whenever he plays against us, he seems to do quite you know he seems to cause our defenders so much trouble, and and you know he came on against Man United, he put himself about a bit, and then they equalised, and you think, 
oh, he's he's going to start against us, isn't he? And he's going to, you know, he's going to make Jillabodji look like the idiot he is. Yeah, and, you, and, and he's going to look like track the ball under his feet and get it in front of him unaccountably. I never understood why that man rolls yeah. or how he can dribble a ball. It literally, it's just pure luck. It bounces off his knees and his his calves and stuff like that, and then he somehow manages to bundle it into. But the you net. see, yeah, I mean, I'm just you, you look happen. you look at players like Crouch and Walters will probably come back in as well, and and then they'll probably look a lot more solid, and they'll have that kind of grit about them that experience that that'll probably you know that might make a difference and and that, uh, it's the same with what you know what gav said you you worry when stats like this are reeled off when we're coming up against teams it's, mm. and uh and, and you know well, don't worry i'm i'm reeling them off so it's not <laughs> i'm not building it up i think we're gonna we're gonna lose but. well do you know you know what do you know what worries me slightly as well um i know it's a total so. moot point but lukaku hadn't scored in ages um, scored two for Belgium and then played us on the Monday and then turned us over. There's a note of it, scored twice against Wales midweek, and I was like, oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. and I, I'm just getting deja vu with things like that. But I'm, I'm, come on, really, we, we have to look at this and go, it doesn't matter who Stoke have got. We know we've got, they've got a strong side on paper, but they're struggling massively. So are we, yeah. but it's away from home. We're clearly better away from home, and we have to get three points. It's, it does, by hook or by crook, doesn't matter how we do it. We have to come away with three points, and, and we, if we don't, I what worry. the crook, though? Historically. Because we haven't got the hook, and I don't know what the bloody crook <laughs> is in our team, because we don't seem to have that. <laughs> It's sort of like no matter what happens, we've got to come away it with points. Worries me. Like, if we don't score more goals than them, then we worries me as well. How well they play. Sorry, It worries me that they played pretty well against Man United. If you watch, I don't know if anybody else watched the game, but they actually they actually looked I, all right at times. And I'm sitting watching it, thinking Stoke had the exact same start the last season. They were really slow out the blocks. They had like a, a fair amount of new players gelling in, and I think the same's happened this season. And I bet, honestly, I bet um, every one of their fans, when they're sitting in the club or when they're having a pint with each other, they're saying, oh, this will be the game that kickstarts the season. This is where Boney's going to grab a couple of goals. This is where the likes of Shakiri and Co. come to town and turn up and give a performance. And I, I can just, you know that all the teams languishing at the bottom are feeling like that. And that's not only worrying because that suggests how badly we're thought of, but it also says that we don't have any metal or grit in our team that... People think it's going to be an easy day that people are going to score goals and find form against us. I think we need to like. Can you even imagine? Can you even imagine their their team talk dressing room and that? Just like, do they even have to bother with tactics or anything like that? They must just be sitting there clapping each other on the shoulder. Like you just go out there and do your own thing. It'll be fine. If you're going to try and put a, which is the put a positive spin on it though, I mean. Allardyce looked awful at times last season and we were sitting questioning, oh, what's he doing with um, the substitutions? The tactics didn't fit. And he turned it round, so maybe trying to be on a bit, little bit more positive, maybe David Moyes will get it right this game and he'll put a team up that look really good, think, that they uh, look threatening, yeah. and I he turns it around. I think, I think I, that's I, it. I, I, we do very well against Stoke, historically. Well, you see, we beat them most seasons, I think, don't we? I just, I have a feeling that the, the players seem to play with a bit more freedom away from home. This crowd, I think, at the Stadium of Light, when things aren't going well, can be can be really challenging for them because it can get really edgy. I, I fancy us, if you keep it tight in the first 20 minutes, the Britannia will feel equally as edgy for Stoke because yeah. they're not in good form. And when you've got someone like Jermaine Defoe, we've, we've always got a chance. I fancy us to yeah. negative. So. I think I think it is far more important how we approach it, You know what Moyes chooses to do with 
with how he's going to set the team up, who he's going to pick. Um, I, I, I think if we go there for a draw, I'd seriously question it because their defence has looked shaky. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've watched their game against Palace, but they were all, like all over the place. And, appalling, weren't they? Uh, oh, and and you know you'd, you'd hope that that Moyes would go all right. Well, you know, let's go there and and let's let's make them let's make them anxious. Let's give them a a good game. Let's try and get three points because at the end of the day, we've only taken one from nine against Borough, Palace, and West Brom, and so that's kind of put the pressure on us to really against Stoke and West Ham try and go out and win these games. And, you know, if, if Moyes tries to play for a draw, you know, tries to get a point and, and you know, gives Stoke, gives Stoke too much respect in a way, then I, I, I'd, be, I'd be concerned about that. So hopefully he picks something that's a bit positive, you know, maybe goes with the 3-5-2, mm. you know. On that note, looking back, I suppose we should, I know it's been a week now and it'll be another week, but... Hopefully that'll have given them some time, or at least given Moyes some time to assess the tactical changes he had to make. Um, yeah, in in the last match. So, does anyone think he'll be looking at that, looking at a back three or something like that, and actually apply it I to this game? Be... Do you think this will be the time when he experiments? Do you think he found that that was actually quite a good idea, and <clears throat> we got? Maybe looking at his injury list. Nine players, nine yeah. players out injured. Deny is on that list. It seems it seems to be consistently about eight or nine it's, this season. I think that's half half of the battle. So it, is. One, it really is. Something that Allardyce seemed to be fantastic at that Moyes can't seem to grasp is the recovery. I think we spoke about the cryotherapy and things like that, didn't yeah. we, in the chat? No, we'll see, we'll see, um, and whether that actually... We seem to be picking up a lot of muscle injuries, don't we? Which, yeah, is, which yeah, is the worrying thing. thing. Because yeah. you look at the list and you look at that, that list and every single one of those players could theoretically get in that team. I mean, Kershaw... Yeah. Pickford, Anichibi, Katnamol, Pina, Yanazai, Barini, Manone, Larson. That's not that's and all of them are. It's a uh, nucleus of a team, that. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. I think we're missing Barini. I think it's come to my attention. I mean, I know he doesn't bang in a load of goals and that, but he seems to have quite a um, what's the word? Like a, he has a good effect this on the rest of the team. The he seems to, he's, he's quite positive. This is on the, the point as well, isn't he? Because he's a, he wins your clever fouls, and he's he's a he's a, mm. he's, well, he's a professional. He seems to where where someone like Watmore, he's got all the desire in the world. He's not quite clever enough on the pitch at times to know when to to go to ground or to to win a tactical free kick. He just seems to be like head down and off he goes. Where Barini seems to get you some free kicks in and around the box. Um, we massively miss it in my opinion well do you know what it tells me though is I, I was sitting in the in May thinking that left midfield was a position we'd be trying to strengthen in the summer and now we're sat here kind of pining for Barini to return and it, it shows really the top and bottom of where we are and, and how, how badly we're mm. recruited and where we are in terms of injuries that we're, that we're pining for a player like Barini because for me, he struggled for a lot of last season. It wasn't until the Palace game, was it really, when he when he scored that great goal where he, yeah. he forced his way into Allardyce's plans? So, I think that's... That, you know, yeah, I think last season, a lot of players, Barini, you know, Kabul, Kirchhoff, they all benefited from, like Damien, Damien was saying, that Allardyce's ability to really cater recovery and fitness for individual players and you know Kabul he had a slow start and people have been comparing him to Jilabodji and the fact that they both had slow starts but the thing about Kabul is that he's always had an injury history he's always you know he, he had, I don't think he'd played for about 
10 months when we when we got him and he and he was yeah and he was and he was well, in yeah. and out of, he was in and out of our team for the first few months whereas Jill Bodgie that it's it's not so I I don't think it's about fitness with him whereas with Kabul I think we started to see his best form when he was when he really got his fitness and that that for me is the the kind of the distinction between those two players because people are saying oh well if Kabul did it why can't Jill Bodgie do it and you know really win us over and and I think that distinction has to be made the fitness distinction um, you know whether it's in their heads or whether it's whether it's a, an actual you know physical uh, problem with their training and recovery I don't know but. Um, I, I think last season there, it, it definitely seemed to help a lot of these players like Barini and Kabul and Kirchhoff to, to, and Defoe as well. I mean, Defoe was playing two games in a week at 33, whereas this season, you know, touch and go whether he was starting the Man City game. He had a knock midweek a few weeks ago. You know, you, you're wondering whether you're on borrowed time with him as well. And that's, and you, that's a massive yeah. concern. Yeah, you know, we, we, heard, we heard that in the build to the West Brom game that players had been completely beasted by Moyes because he was focused on winning the game and in that period we're, we're picking up a number of injuries muscle injuries so I kind of do worry about that like because it, it going forward we don't have the biggest squad and we're, we're playing people out of position as it is and when you cont- it, it, when you've got like eight, nine people injured at a time that, that doesn't spell well it doesn't spell good for the future really because we've got we've got a long season ahead and we can't really afford to have key players missing as long as we are it's like three months at a time you know, mm-hmm. and it, it, we, we are struggling. We're struggling massively. We need, we need. It's like I said before, he wasn't, he wasn't really a player I saw as a first teamer ahead. But you know, as, as it is, Barini is quite an important player for us. We need him back, really, because we, we like, like already said, um, we're missing the, just some clever players on the pitch. You know, and, and even then, he's got a goal in him. How many of our midfielders do? Yeah. Mm. The um, if you look at the look mm. at the injuries, I mean. I'm looking at the return dates, it, it, it says online. And I mean, in theory, I mean, we could have Catamol, Pienaar, Anichibi, Pickford all back for Stoke, um, which is that's, I mean, that's got to take some positive, I guess. Um, if we can get, I think, Stephen Pienaar back, I think he adds a lot more quality in the middle of the park than what we've, what, than someone like McNair, certainly. Um, and if Catamol plays alongside someone like Ndong, there's a lot of legs in there. Um, and I think there's a lot more fight. Depends if we play with that back five, though, doesn't it? Again, because if if you're going to play with a back five, that includes uh, you know Daniel or Jilabodji. Then in front of them, you probably need two holding players and a number ten. Who that number ten is is anyone's guess, but I'm going to suppose it'll be Kazri based on his performance uh, against West Brom. You know, so again, that that at least it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? Really. Pienaar Pienaar's is pulled up with an injury in his last game. I don't know whether he'd be ready to start yet, but he's certainly an option off the bench mm. if we aren't holding the ball properly, which was a big issue for much much of the West Brom game. Really, we, we struggled with possession until Rodwell came on, to be honest. Yeah. Um, who, who's another player who could well start? So then, I know we say this every week, but um, and we always say, like, oh, this this game, this will be it. You know, this is where we finally judge the team. I honestly think this, this has to be... And, I think if we say it now and we stick to it, this really is the game that we, we judge the season by, in all honesty. There was a, a glimmer of hope against West Brom when we switched uh, the formation and we made a couple of little tactical changes. We looked fairly threatening at times. If we do that again and we see more encouraging signs against Stoke, then I think we have sort of a right to have that little spark of optimism still linger on a little bit longer. But if Stoke come out and tear us to pieces, then I think... 
all the people who give us a little bit of chip online and say, oh, he's so negative, you know, positivity, things can only get better. I think we need to take a, a real long, hard look um, if we don't do well the coming weekend and, and really say, right, that's it, we're in for a real long, hard slog. How can we get points? If we see David Moyes' team come and gel together a little bit more and we see Ndong and Kazri sort of forge some kind of relationship, if we nullify Stoke but look a little bit edgy and have a little bit of attack and threat, then I think finally we can sort of increase our optimism levels a little bit. Maybe Gav doesn't need to put a ban on travel by car. <laughs> I'll get some, we'll all get some candy, yeah. we? just in case for the next one. Just in Champagne case we do have so. to analyse that. So, <laughs> all right, and sweet. Well, um, I won't bother with predictions because we've got absolutely no idea how this is going to pan out. Um, but, yeah, so I suppose all that's left to say is that's pretty much all we've got time for. Um, thanks for listening. We will be on iTunes this week. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> I hook or by crook, whatever the crook is. Um, yeah, so you'll be able to subscribe finally. That's my fault. I've pulled my fingers out. We're going to ridden sort it out now. So, yeah, until next week, look after each other. Fingers crossed we'll have something to celebrate. Uh, this is the Worker Report signing off. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.